0: Welcome back to another episode of Consciously Clueless. I'm your host, Carly, and I'll be your guide on this journey from consciousness to cluelessness and back around again. Today on the podcast, I talk to Amanda McCarty. Amanda wanted to be an art teacher, but somehow ended up with a career in fashion, but began as a seasonal part-time sales associate. She has worked in the buying and merchandising departments of some of the most iconic millennial lifestyle brands. Now she hosts two podcasts, Clothes Horse and The Department, writes epic Instagram captions, and frequently cites the UN sustainable development goals. She has been known to cry at Hello Kitty events, and she loves a good miniature museum. Her current obsessions are faux fruit, maximal design, vintage cookbooks, and workers' rights. Here we go! This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. Is there something interfering with your happiness or is preventing you from achieving your goals? By now, you all know that therapy is an important part of my own self care. It has truly been a game changer in every aspect of my life, including achieving goals. BetterHelp is the largest online therapy platform worldwide. They are changing the way people get help with facing life's challenges by providing convenient, discreet, and affordable access to a licensed therapist. BetterHelp makes professional therapy available anytime, anywhere, through a computer, tablet, or smartphone. You can start communicating within 48 hours. It's not a crisis line. It's not self-help. It is professional therapy done securely online. And I have a special offer for Consciously Clueless listeners. Visit BetterHelp.com Carly and join the over 1 million people taking charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. By using this code, you get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp.com C-A-R-L-Y. Take care of yourself today. Thanks again to BetterHelp for sponsoring this podcast. Good. Well, thank you so much for joining me this morning. I'm really really excited. Um, I'm glad that we got to connect through the ASA collective. Yeah, I know. So cool. It's really nice to have a, a space like that. So I'm very thankful, thankful for them.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think it's great. And it brought together a lot of people who would never have met one another otherwise, because, you know, the internet is vast and endless. <laughs> yeah,
0: totally. Um, well, the podcast is called "Consciously Clueless," uh-huh. and that came from this place of me realizing, you know, when I started this journey to kind of like being more of an environmentalist and being more conscious about things, it was also full of moments where you're like, "Never mind, I know nothing. I am totally clueless, <laughs> cool. and that's okay too." So, I like to ask guests when we start, just like. Right in this moment, where are you feeling on the spectrum from clueless to conscious, whatever that means to you?
1: Oh, man, probably still somewhere in the middle. I feel like I've learned Mm -hmm. so much over the past few years, but I mean, there's still so much to untangle. Um, There's so much information out there, so much greenwashing. And just when I'm like, I think I've got it, I find something else, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Yes, yes. Totally. And I uh, interviewed somebody else
0: this morning too, and we were chatting kind of about the same thing. And like, if you think you've gotten to a point where you know it all, you're probably in like a worse place. Agreed.
1: (laughs) Agreed. I feel like I, if there's one thing I've learned, especially over the past year and change of making clothes horse is if I think I know something, Uh, All I need to do is spend five more minutes to throw all of that up in the air. (laughs) Like, you know, (laughs) like, oh, okay. Well, you know, I mean, and I think that's intentional, right? It's, it's hard to live a more sustainable lifestyle because of the systems in place right now. And there's, you know, and just the things that we take for granted as information that we see as information, in fact, often really being marketing, which can Mm -hmm. be factual, but can also just be advertising and not treatable. And there's no one out there saying like, oh, we're gonna keep an eye on marketing and vet it in the same way we might journalism. And so it can be really confusing, especially which I'm I'm sure you're the same way. You get so much information from the internet, right? So like I sometimes have to dig 10 pages of search results deep to find the real information. And most people don't have that luxury of taking the time to do that. Right. Right.
0: Totally. So you are the host of close horse podcast, mm-hmm. and it is the podcast that loves clothes, but hates capitalism. <laughs> yeah. That's the tagline, right? <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> I love that. So tell me where this started and for those listening and watching, if you don't follow, um, the close horse podcast on social media, you should, cause it is a wealth of knowledge. So thank <laughs> you for that.
1: Thank you. Well, you know, I, I mean, When I started the podcast, I started on Instagram because I was like, oh, this is how I'm going to meet more people, right? But -hmm. then I realized that it was this major channel for information, for sharing information and educating. So Instagram really rapidly moved from like an afterthought to like a main part of the mission that I'm on. And I never, ever thought I would spend this much time thinking about Instagram or working on Instagram. And I, I laugh, I laugh about it. I'll be like, I literally just spent four hours making an Instagram post like, who would have thought? <laughs> yes, totally been there. Totally
0: been there.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's a lot more work than it looks like. I think everybody who makes content knows that, but the rest of the world doesn't. <laughs> so it's always a surprise yeah. to them. Uh, so you know, I actually have worked a pretty lengthy career in fashion um, as a buyer, a product developer, a merchandiser for some of the most iconic millennial brands, like chances are that someone who's listening to this conversation has bought something that I either bought for the, my employer or developed. So like created. And so I've been in it for a long time, you know, and, uh, over the years, I mean, I remember very early in my career having this moment where I thought, isn't it weird that we make all this stuff that isn't really that great and people are buying a ton of it and I'm part of it. And, I feel like there's something off about this because mm-hmm. my job requires me to create as much stuff as often as possible. So we can get people to buy as much stuff as often as possible. And i would kind of stuff those feelings aside. Cause I was like, you know what? I need a job, right? Like this, yes. this, yes. this is a job. And over the years that, that feeling would come back to me as I was laying in bed at night or just driving somewhere. And soon I could no longer stuff it away and I just had to move it into a separate compartment in my brain that I could just look at and be with when I have the freedom, the time. But most of the time I had to ignore that, like shut that door and focus on the mission at hand. And it like, you know, living life on top of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was just picking up more and more momentum with years. I mean, we saw the fast fashionification of the entire industry just change what we were making, how we were making it, how we were selling it, how much of it we were selling. And that room, that compartment that I created in my mind was just getting bigger and bigger. And then the pandemic hit, right? And I lost my job instantly, as did a lot of people who work in fashion. And Mm -hmm. it was like suddenly I could just open that door up and really go sit in that room and figure it out because I was seeing a lot of stuff happening in the industry related to COVID that was really not as much as I would like it, pulling back the curtain on what was going wrong. What was Mm. wrong with what had been building for years. And I originally started Clothes Horse because I realized a lot of people didn't understand anything about how our clothes are made, who makes them, what they're made from, the processes behind the scenes to get them there, Mm -hmm. the strategy, the marketing. And I didn't think that like, it was going to be political. I didn't think of it as a sustainability podcast or anything like that. I didn't think it was uh, Um, (laughs) anti-capitalist, but (laughs) I had been like in the early days of the pandemic when I, I mean, all of us were like, we're running out of stuff on Netflix. We're sad. We're at home. I was got really into Reddit and there was a lot of weird stuff going on at that time with like influencers and product collabs and copying. And I was always answering people's questions. And I realized no one knows any of this stuff. I wonder if people would listen to a podcast about it. So I started making episodes and I realized immediately that you cannot talk about fashion. You cannot talk about shopping or clothing or any of the other things we buy without being political, without caring about workers' rights, human rights, the planet. And so I was like, I guess I just, it, that just is what it is. It's like it's a fashion podcast, but it's not a fashion podcast. In that we talk about the latest trends and what you should buy, and we I don't, you know, talk about famous designers or where you should shop. It's really about understanding our place as consumers and the, just all of the machinations involved in making stuff that we buy.
0: Okay, that like spiel gave me like I have like ten billion follow up <laughs> questions. Okay. To- <laughs> To all of that. Let me try and sort through them in my brain. But first of all, when I started following you and when I, you know, I was like going through kind of the different things you're doing and your Instagram and then the, um, the clothes host clothes horse world and that, and all of that, I'm like thinking you've been established for like years and years. <laughs> I'm looking at this content and I'm like, this has been our life for a while. And obviously fashion has been your life for a while, but I had uh, truly no idea that this was a response to losing your job at the beginning of the pandemic.
1: Yeah. I mean, I'm, I, we were saying for a long time that I was the hardest working unemployed person because I created a job for myself. And then on top of that, I was engaging a lot of activism around unemployed uh, unemployment rights and policy changes. So mm-hmm. i was just like working all the time, not really for any money, but just like being on a mission. Um, I work now for money, in addition to my close <laughs> horse, but uh, you know, yeah, it's like the early days of the pandemic, the first few months. I mean, I my mental health was so bad, and I know I'm not alone there. And honestly, working on clothes horse helped me get through that. Like people that I met made me feel less alone in a time where I felt really, really alone and isolated. And like, what was going to happen to me in the future? It seemed as if my career was over it, I got so much comfort from it. Like I'm really grateful in so many ways. (laughs) Yeah. I, I
0: relate so hard to that. I started this podcast during the pandemic and my mental health was garbage. It was complete dumpster fire. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I've always talked about starting a podcast now seems like the right time.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly. It was just like, why not? Right. And I definitely didn't know anything about starting a podcast at all, I literally had to Google it, like how to start podcasting, Same. right? Right, Same. but uh, I, I still, I look back, I mean, the pandemic's not over, right? We're still in it, it's still really scary mm-hmm. and That's uncertain, true. but I do think that we are going to look back when this is over and see that a lot of us found our true purpose, uh, yeah. grew as people. I think our whole society can grow and change and reprioritize, and so I don't wanna give up on that. I believe in it.
0: Yeah. I did an episode like really early on. I do interviews and then short solo episodes. And one of them was just like, fuck this. I don't want to go back to normal. Like whenever in the beginning was like, when we get back to normal and I'm like, no, that sucked.
1: Like, (laughs) you know, like I think we all
0: kind of like had this collective realization of like, no, (laughs) no, I don't want that anymore.
1: Yeah. 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 Uh, A few months into that, I was really I I felt like the people I knew in real life and was meeting on the internet fell into one of two categories. There were the back to normals. And then there were the rest of us who was like, no, no more of that. Down with the systems. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Like if, if if the pandemic could not prove to you how broken so many things are, I don't know what will, but I would just see people like, I miss having date nights. I can't wait to have a date night or go out to brunch. And My friend and I came up with uh, a little thing called the anti-brunch society, which is basically like we're against going back to normal and political apathy and environmental apathy and just general apathy about growth and just like staying the same. We're against that. We're not anti-breakfast foods. We're not (laughs) anti-eating your breakfast in the middle of the day. Cause I get messages all the time, where like, what? you hate waffles. And I'm like, no, I actually love waffles. Uh, but she I hate <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I, 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 I feel like anything that I can do to make sure that we don't go back to normal is good by me. <laughs> I'm on board. Yeah, absolutely. So you said that in the beginning or
0: early on in your career in fashion, you kind of had this like looming, like this is somewhat problematic, but I'm not really sure. Or like, I don't really want to dive into it. Do you think that's common in the fashion industry? Do you think a lot of people have that kind of like underlying consciousness where they're like, is this good?
1: I I think so. I mean, this is obviously not something that it's going to be good for you to talk about at work. I remember right. a couple of years into my career, another person turning to me who was really smart and saying, do you ever think about how everything we spend all this time working on is just going to go to a landfill and feel sad about it? And I was like, yes, but we can't talk about that here. Like, I mean, oh, wow. You know, like that conversations about that kind of stuff do not happen in the industry. Anytime even someone's like, we're going to talk about sustainability. It's always a lot of greenwashiness or like use less paper at the printer, you know, (laughs) but like, (laughs) Like, it's never like, let's really talk about the impact of what we're doing and make it better because these systems that all these brands use, these supply chains, the way of thinking, the strategy have been in place for so long. And it would be, I mean, it would be a lot. I can't even imagine the process to dismantle it. When a huge company that's been around for 10, 20, 30, 40 years, tries to sell you a sustainability initiative for their clothing, you can almost guarantee that it is just a bunch of marketing fluff and isn't really anything impactful because it's kind of impossible for them to get there just like that.
0: Yeah, totally. So you started doing this podcast and kind of like flipping the world as you knew it in fashion on its head (laughs) and talking about all of these things. Did you get any pushback or like negativity from people you used to work with or for, or like, what was that like being in fashion and then being like, fuck fashion,
1: (laughs) fuck fast fashion. It's interesting. I mean, like, listen, there are plenty of people who I've worked with over the years who do not care about this stuff. And right. think I'm just like a rabble rouser and a jerk, but we probably weren't friends to begin with. But all of the people that I've met over the years through my career who were super smart and funny and talented and passionate, all of them were so excited. A lot of them have been guests on the show, super oh, wow. supportive, just being like, thank you for saying the things I've been thinking for a really long time. Yeah. And that feels good. I mean, they some of them will send me things like, hey, you should probably debunk vegan leather necks or things like things that all of us had been upset about or laughing about in a mean, dark, cynical way for years. Like, why yeah, are we yeah. doing this? You know? And I think it's, it, you know, one of the questions I receive from people sometimes is like, why don't you just quit? Why don't you just quit the fashion industry? And I'm like, dude, because I come from a lower class background, I do not have a financial safety net. I was a single parent until a few years ago. And I definitely could not afford to network. And that's where my experience is. If Mm -hmm. I could turn back time and go back and take a different path. Yeah, I probably would, but unfortunately Mm -hmm. that's where I am. And I'm, I'm an expert in it. So that's what I'm going to keep doing in one way or another.
0: Yeah. It gives you this really unique position to
1: talk about these things
0: from a standpoint that we don't often get.
1: Yeah. No one talks about it. Um, I think that's primarily because we all sign a lot of NDAs and other agreements. Yeah. And that's one of the reasons you don't hear a lot of this truth coming out. You know, before I started the podcast, I, I was like, well, you know, every every idea has already been thought by somebody. So this I, this podcast probably already exists. And I was mm-hmm. searching all over the internet and I was like, wow, no, every fashion podcast that I encounter is about designers or the art of fashion or trends and there are sustainability focused podcasts out there, but they don't talk about the industry in the same way that I do. They're really more focused on like, you know, I don't know, entrepreneurs in the sustainability space or like fabrication. Yeah. yeah. They're not really like, here's what's going on behind the scenes because, you know, that's, that information is not accessible.
0: Absolutely. So when you started the podcast, were you thinking like, this will be a fun hobby? Or were you like, I'm going to make this, like, I'm going to make this big. This is going to go somewhere.
1: <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what I thought. <laughs> I, people would ask me all the time. Because I I mean, like, I work really hard on closed Horse. It is beyond a full-time job. Um, and people ask me like, oh, is that because you want to like get a book deal or be famous or, you know, whatever. <laughs> and I'm like, well, you know, in the beginning, it just was like, It was gratifying, I think, to get the information out there and also gave me a sense of purpose in a time where, like we've talked about, I was definitely losing my mind in so many ways. Um, And now, you know, it's not about being famous or getting rich. I don't think I can get rich off of this podcast, honestly. And if even if I could, I would probably just give all that money away. Uh, I think it's just about opening people's eyes. You know, I get really excited when someone says, Hey, thanks for telling me the polyester was plastic. I really had no idea. And you just changed the way I shopped. And I'm like, what? Oh my God. Like, that's amazing. Okay. Go tell five of your friends. Thanks, in advance. you know?
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah, that's so true. It's just like, when you hear the feedback from something you talked about making an impact, you're like, that's the why. That's yeah, the why. Yeah, it. it
1: really is for me. I mean, you know, I think there are people who do things because they are driven to be successful, There are people who do things because they're driven to be famous. Certainly when I was living in LA, I would meet a lot of people who everything they did was on a path towards being famous, uh, which is so funny. Like the last thing I would like is to be famous. But I know for some people, like some people are driven by money and some people are driven by fame and some people are driven by power. and Some people are driven by love. And for me, I think I'm just really driven for change. That's what Mm -hmm. I want.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So for those listening, I've done a few interviews and episodes with like fast fashion and talking about that stuff. But if people have completely missed that, um, can you give like a fast fashion 101? Um, like what, what you tell people, like an elevator speech. If someone's <laughs> like fast fashion, what does that mean? Also, you said a term fast fashion. Fashionification,
1: fashion, fast fashionification. I don't think you can find it in the dictionary, but it's a word. No, I was like,
0: that's a cool.
1: <laughs> it's a lot. It's a lot of syllables. So, the and my definition of fast fashion really will explain fast fashionification too. So, okay, good, okay, good. I think that when we talk about fast fashion, you know, pe- certain brands or retailers might come to mind. You might think of Shein or Forever Twenty One or HM or Zara, and those are all fast fashion. Yes. But fast fashion is not a certain price point. It's not a certain customer base. It's not a certain aesthetic or a location of stores or how fast you even get it in the mail. It's it's a way of doing business. It's a model that is based on selling you the customer as much stuff as possible, as often as possible, as profitably as possible, right? So it's about launching new products constantly of things not staying at full price very long, of running all kinds of promos. And when you start to unlock these patterns of fast fashion, you start to see that all these brands that you probably think of as being too premium to be fast fashion, are Mm. right? Like if you go into a store and there were hundreds or even thousands of different items for sale in in the store or on the website, that's fast fashion. If, If you're getting emails constantly about, a whole new launch of collections or just brand new product, that's fast fashion. If they're having all kinds of weird promos and discounts and like, it's donut day, take 10% off or buy one, get one. Or they have crazy black Friday blowouts. These, that is fast fashion. And it's that constant stream of newness that they have to feed you to keep getting you to come back to buy more. And that's why there's so much stuff Right. You're being reminded of it all the time. And so like, I'm not going to name this brand, but there's a brand that uh, people will sometimes try to cite to me and be like, well, I shop at this large brand that starts with an A and sounds like a, something you might study in school. And that place isn't fast fashion. That's better. And I'm like, actually that place is fast fashion. Like yeah, uh it. They're taking a huge markup on what they sell you. They're selling you tons of stuff all the time. Go into their stores. There's like a gazillion things in there. It's constantly changing. It's fast fashion. They're using all the same processes. They're using all the same strategy, the same supply chains as things you think are fast fashion. This podcast is sponsored by TerraSeed. TerraSeed is on
0: a mission to disrupt the vitamin industry empower vegans, and reduce plastic waste in the world. They put everything plant-based people struggle to get in an all-inclusive, vegan, compostable package multivitamin that replenishes them and our planet every single day. Seriously, y'all, win, win, win. Even if you're not vegan, this vitamin will help you get those key nutrients that you need. I am so excited to share a discount code for your first purchase. Use code CARLY50 at checkout to get 50% off. Again, that's C-A-R-L-Y-5-0 for 50% off your first purchase at taraseed.com. Don't forget this code so they know I sent you. This podcast is supported by She Thinks. Thinks are washable, reusable period underwear. They look and feel just like normal underwear, but better. Every pair of Thinx is made with their signature innovative technology for the ultimate period protection. Their breathable products are safely made with cotton, nylon, and elastin for a little stretch. I am seriously obsessed with my Thinx underwear. They have changed my periods. Try them yourself or get someone the best gift ever with a sweet little discount code. Go to shethinks.com slash Carly for $10 off your order today. Again, that's shethinks.com forward slash C-A-R-L-Y for $10 off your order. Try thinks today. So some people are like, well, I want to like separate myself. Like I'm not shopping at Forever 21 or H&M, so I'm not contributing. But what
1: you're saying is like, you probably are. You probably are. I would say... If you go to the mall and buy clothes, you're shopping fast fashion. If you buy from a department store, you're shopping fast fashion. If you shop at any large retailer, you're shopping fast fashion. You may even be shopping at, at some boutiques and whatnot, because it's all about just churning out product as fast as possible, as cheaply as possible, and therefore selling as much stuff as possible. You know the price point thing is what I think always makes people think something's not fast fashion, right? Like, cause we think it's cheap. We think it's forever 21 or H and M where a dress is like $20. And like I said, yes, that is fast fashion. But what people don't realize is that a lot of brands that weren't forever 21, like 10, 15 years ago are now because after yeah. the 2008 financial crisis, You know that the year that year, two thousand eight, everybody had to sell everything super on sale because you know people were freaking out and broke. The only way any brand, whether they were high end or low end, could sell anything was on sale. What happened is I don't know what happened to all of our brains, but we all got addicted to sale immediately, and so the next year, brands that weren't fast fashion at that point—they were in certain ways—they were still exploiting workers and being wasteful, but not to the extent that they are now. Uh, They they had to start putting a lot more stuff on sale. They looked at their competitors like Forever 21, like 2008 is when Forever 21 and H&M got like just a massive, like on steroids shot in the arm because people were broke and these brands were growing. And so we all got accustomed to going into a store and getting five things for $50 or whatever. And these other retailers uh, they they were saying, okay, we have two ways to stay competitive here. One, we can be like forever twenty-one and start selling everything for $490 or $14.90 or whatever. Right. Or we can keep our current prices and lose all of our customers, right? So if we go down to $4 or $14.90, that's not going to be good for our brand image. Like, for example, the brand I mentioned earlier, the one that sounds like a school subject. Mm-hmm, Imagine if you went in there and everything was four ninety and fourteen ninety. You would be like, "This be like, is garbage," right? Yeah, yeah, I'm too good for this. Right, exactly. So what they did all, and not just that brand, but all of these brands, is they kept the prices on their price tags the same, but what they did is plan to sell most of it on sale, and in order to do that, they had to make things less expensively so that even if it was sold at half off, it would still be highly profitable, and so wow. that meant using crappy fabrics. That's when like polyester just blew up. Polyester is infinitely cheaper than any natural fiber. That's when it started. Plastic, plastic. yeah, because it's plastic. Uh, This is when we started to see just things start to fit worse and worse because no one wanted to spend the money to get the fit right because that's a process. It takes time, it takes fit models, it takes fit text, it takes samples, it adds up. They cut that mm. out, they started removing pockets and linings and all of these things that used to exist in clothing. No matter what price you were paying, they were gone, you know? And we yeah. now we find ourselves it's 2021 and we're all like addicted to deals, these retailers know it. They're cutting costs even more and more. And ultimately, in addition to us, the customer getting product that just isn't that great, like we deserve better, the people making the clothes, the fabrics, the trims, shipping it, working in the warehouses, working in the stores are being paid less and less and less year over year and really just living in poverty so that we can have not very good clothes. It doesn't, it's just, it's sad, right? Like the the model, like when you say it like that, you're like, okay, people
0: are being exploited and paid shit so we can have shitty clothes.
1: Right? (laughs) How (laughs) depressing is that? Yeah, I mean, it looks so basically everybody is being hurt by this and you think about like taking your hard-earned money as a customer and putting it into that system. You worked hard for that money. Why do you want crappy clothes that exploit people and destroy yeah. People in it.
0: Yeah. Wow. This is that is um, I think what you just described really even opened my mind up a little bit because I still think of some of those, not the not the brand that sounds like a, a college major, but um <laughs> not some of those, but even some other brands equating them to fast fashion still. Like I think I probably would have said. You know, they're not ethical or they're like still not great, but like equating that to like that's still fast fashion in the way you just described it, I think is really eye opening.
1: It's crazy. That's the fast fashionification. Some of yes. these brands, uh, none of these brands were ethical before 2008, right. but then they all became fast fashion as well and even more unethical. And honestly, extra unethical because they're being unethical towards their customers even, and you know, mm-hmm. in all the different brands I worked for, there would always be a moment where someone would say, we're obsessed with our customer. Like our customers what? are number one priority. Are, are they though? Because they, right, right, right. you're not giving anyone very good stuff, you know? And on top of that, you're hurting all these other people, planet, animals, water, you name it. What's, what's the point? And I mean, for me, this was a hard, this is a hard fact. I, I think it's a hard thing for yeah. any of us to hear yeah. when we know that clothes are supposed to be such a, a represent, like a creative expression of who we are. They're so built into the image we want to project to the world, how mm-hmm. we express our feelings, our interests, our aesthetics. Mm-hmm. And then just think like we're putting these things in our body that are just full of disappointment and bad vibes and exploitation, it's, it's really hard to reconcile that. I mean, it's a process for me as well. I think that anyone who's hearing this for the first time or even the 13,000th time and is mm-hmm. feeling conflicted, sad, angry, doesn't want to wants to cover their ears and not hear it. That's okay. We yeah. have to hear it. We have to hear bad news to make good news. That's what I always say. Oh yeah. So you gotta open your self up to the bad things and grieve, grieve that knowledge and then move forward to change things. Yeah. Yeah, that's really, really
0: lovely. We have to hear bad news for good news. Yeah. To come. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Totally. Or uh, there will be no good news ever, you know. Right. Totally. So
0: when, you know, like you said, if someone's hearing this for the first time and they're like, Well shit, <laughs> you know, like <laughs> Like, that's great. You know, like I remember having these moments of starting to learn about things and being like, you go through this process where you're like, wow, that's so cool. And then you like, think about your life and you're like, oh no, (laughs) what am I going to do? So, um, going back to something you mentioned earlier, like greenwashing
1: Mm
0: -hmm. talk about this on the podcast a lot, but especially in the last couple of years, because there's been, I think a raising consciousness around these issues brands are responding and being like, okay, great. We're eco-friendly. So can you talk a little bit about that? Like greenwashing sense and what happens there?
1: Sure. I mean, it's marketing plain and simple. Like greenwashing, if you're unfamiliar with that term is market is a marketing message, a marketing technique that implies a product, a company, a brand is way more sustainable and ethical then it probably is right. Mm -hmm. It's using our good intentions, our innate goodness to make a better world, to do good. It's Mm -hmm. using that as a means of selling us stuff. Yes. Yes. So it's frustrating, right? And it's really, it can be really, really hard. Uh, I knew this was coming because even about 10 years ago, I would go to trade shows and they always, at all the fashion and retail trade shows, they're always, panel conversations you can go check out or you get like booklets of information and whatnot. it's most of it's spin, but it does really, give you a a view into what is going to be like the marketing trend down the road. And even 10 years ago, people were starting to talk about sustainability, not in a meaningful way. Like it was a lot of nonsense, like, Oh, you should use organic fabrics, but no other information about why you should or what that would mean and how that would impact the planet. It was, it was things like that. And we've seen it pick up momentum year after year after year. And Retailers know that we have a lot of ego anxiety, right? I know I do. Um, Same. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And they know it's top of mind. I mean, they're literally paying people to research this and find this out about us, right? And they see what we're doing on social media. They see the conversations. And so they're like, okay, we're gonna lean into that because I do think, and we're still in the early stages of this, but it's picking up momentum every day that more and more people are kind of wising up yeah what we just talked about like the bad product built on exploitation it ends up in landfills or overseas where it becomes someone else's problem they, they we're starting they're starting to see that we're starting to learn that and i hope it picks up even more momentum and so this is their attempt to sell us to continue that fast fashion model of selling us as much stuff as possible as often as possible okay, now we'll just tell you it's fine for you to buy all that stuff as often as possible because it's like green or eco-friendly and it can get really confusing. The great news I would say is that it turns out that most of the companies who are working on this and using this as their story are like not super smart or creative. So they're all kind of using the same same tricks over (laughs) and over again. So when you start to spot them, you're like, oh my God, greenwashing, 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 greenwashing. Every once in a while I get tripped up on one and I have to do a deeper search. So they're going to wise up, but it's like, yeah. you know, one way you used a word that gets used all the time in greenwashing, eco-friendly, right? Mm-hmm. What does that even mean? And that's mm-hmm. the thing, like if you see a lot of words that don't really have a measurable meaning, that like yeah. heal to your eco-anxiety, uh, that's greenwashing. So it's like right. green eco-friendly, um, even sustainable plant-based. Oh my God. Yeah. Seriously. Sometimes I'm and I pick up things
0: that are plant-based and I'm like, there's milk in this. I still can't eat it.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Don't even get me started on food labeling because it's like such a mess (laughs) or if you'll like buy a bag of rice and it says gluten-free and I'm sort of like, yeah, yeah, obviously. Rice. Yeah, yeah, thanks, rice. thanks for that, guys. Like, people would <laughs> always be like, did you know that rice checks are gluten-free? And I'd be like, yeah, it's made of rice. Because it's rice. I don't <laughs> need to see the packaging. Anyway, uh, oh. yeah, so labels like that, you know, there's no one out there saying, like, you can only use this term if you meet these standards. Right. Because they're not measurable in the first place. And so anyone, you could make a bag of plastic trash bags and spray it with like, I don't know, something horrible for the planet and still say it was eco-friendly because no one's gonna be like, actually you don't meet the legal parameters for that, right? So that's one way you can look at it. I think another thing that you have to ask yourself, like I'll use H&M as an example um, because they do that like conscious collection, by the way, conscious, another greenwashing word, right? If they can make this collection that is sustainable, and spoiler, it's not, uh, (laughs) why aren't the other like 900 things on their website sustainable, right? Yes. Yes. And the thing that none of these brands talk about, whether they're talking about recycled plastic or recycled packaging or whatever nonsense they're throwing at us to confuse us, they never talk about the people who make their stuff.
0: Yeah, that's a huge one for me. If I'm like, okay, I'm starting to trust this brand.
1: Yeah, yeah, they never talk about like living wages, good work conditions, Mm -hmm. and that's because they're not there. They and I think if you look at someone like H and M or any of any of the big retailers, for one of them to come forward and say, "Hey, listen, uh, we're going to do better. Here's our plan. We're going to pay people this. We're going to max. We're going to put a ceiling on the number of hours they can work in a day, a week, a month." all of these other things, uh, well, no one's going to do that because then it basically says to the rest of us, oh, so for the last 10, 20, 30, 40 years, you haven't been doing that. And that's a bad yeah. look. And it's, it's really unfortunate. It's sort of like they're trapped in a world they created and they can't get out of it. You know, like yeah, what a nightmare. If H&M, not a place I shop, really. I mean, for like a million reasons, but mostly because yeah. <laughs> I think that they're pretty evil. Uh, came forward and said, "Hey, guys, listen. One, we've totally been greenwashing you all this time. Yeah. Um, yeah. And two, we're gonna do better for our workers. And here's the plan. I would be like, I guess I shop at H and M now. Yeah." Like that would be a bold, brave move, but no, no one's going to do that. And that means that the product isn't sustainable in the first place, because I said, sustainable is not measurable and it really, it is, and it isn't, but for people who are in the sustainable ethical fashion space, when we talk about sustainability, we're really talking about the, um, the UN's, you know, growth. Mm -hmm. Uh, sustainable development goals. I don't know why I'm like stuttering over that. Uh, And there's half of those goals are about lifting people out of poverty, giving them health care, education, access to clean food, you know, clean water, food, ending global hunger, uh, paying people fair wages, you know, all of these things. That's half of the sustainable development goals. Only a few of them are around like minimizing consumption and clean water and using less resources. I mean, these are all important too, but When these companies talk about their sustainable collection, they just talk about that little bit of like eco stuff, and they don't talk about people stuff. So they're not sustainable.
0: Yeah. Wow. 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 Now I want to go read the UN's uh, sustainable development
1: development goals. Just Google them; they have a really great infographic, Um, and it really puts stuff in perspective because humans are a big part of it. Like the world is not sustainable right now. The way we live, the just global poverty and hunger and wealth inequality and everything else. It's just not, we're not sustainable guys.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So for, I have a couple of questions. So for people listening, if they are like, okay, I'm get it. I'm starting to understand. I'm glad to have this knowledge. Like is there a process you go through? Like I work with a few brands for the podcast and I try and be as careful as I can be. Cause I don't want to be perpetuating this. Right. right like I want right. talking about these things and then getting brands because for me and, and please correct me or push back if this, if I'm misspeaking or if this is wrong, but for me, I'm like buying things or just like, you know, buying at some point you're going to need a new pair of shoes or whatever. Buying things isn't the problem. It's not that buying things is inherently bad or getting things from other makers or creators. It's the fast fascification (laughs) and, and the, and all the other things you mentioned. Does, does that kind of, that's kind of what I've been thinking about lately. It's
1: not that like buying things is inherently bad. Right. I think that people, I mean, this is a lot of information, right? I think back to a few years ago when there were a startlingly high number of exposés. I think it started with NPR coming out about the myth of plastic recycling. And it really messed me up. (laughs) It was really, really upsetting because suddenly, I mean, I had already known that there was too much plastic in the world and that we used fossil fuels to make it. So it was already problematic to me, but Mm -hmm. then to realize that only a small percentage of all the plastic any of us has ever sent to the landfill is being recycled, that most plastic only be recycled once, it messes with you, right? Yeah. Really, really upsetting. And I, I felt so upset, so overwhelmed. I was like, we can never buy anything again. This is it, (laughs) right? Like just shut down, overwhelmed by it. And I think that's normal human behavior. And then it was like, okay, one, we're never going to not be able to buy or need things. This is who we are. We're not, we're not living off the land, unfortunately, right now. Let's figure it out. Like, seriously, I had to go pick up a prescription at the pharmacy and it came in a plastic bottle. And I was like, I can't take it anymore. You know, like the world is setting me up to fail. I guess I quit. I'm just going to keep buying plastic. Right. But then, yes, I started to realize there are things I can do. There are ways I can change my habits. It's going to take time. I'm going to switch to glass. I'm going to, you know, use the bulk bins at the grocery store. I'm going to opt for brands that use less packaging. I'm going to ask brands that I like to use less plastic packaging. Like, you know, there are all kinds of things I could do there. And over time I felt no longer sad, frightened, overwhelmed. I felt empowered and excited and Optimistic, and I think that's just kind of where we have to get with clothing, too. So it doesn't mean that we all need to become nudists, it doesn't mean (laughs) you never get to feel good about what you wear ever again. Yeah, it's like I think people are like, Well, if I give if I care about fashion, I I won't be cute, (laughs) right? Exactly, exactly. And that's just not true. I mean, I think it's just about changing up our approach to what we buy and when we buy it, how often we buy it, how much we buy it. So you know. One, I tell everybody, I'm a big fan of shopping secondhand first for anything. Yes. Uh, we Same. live in like a golden era of shopping secondhand, right? Like we're lucky,
0: right? Yes, the store, like the like Poshmark. I I spend too much time on Poshmark. I don't even buy that much, but it's just exciting. <laughs> it is,
1: it is, and you know, like you can find stuff on there that is has like is practically brand new and still in stores, and someone bought it regretfully. So just. Go look for things there. Um, sure. Sometimes that means you're not going to get it immediately, but that's okay. And I think the next step is kind of changing our behavior because, as fashion and the industry got fashion fast, fashionified, so did <laughs> I, so did we. I think yeah. that one thing I always would joke that I felt like fast fa- the whole fast fashion industry should send Instagram. uh, an edible arrangement every day for the rest of time because I feel like they could not have taken off the way they did without Instagram. Like I saw, I see Instagram as a big turning point in our own consumer habits. Like suddenly you can't wear the same outfit twice in a photo. Yes. What the heck? (laughs) Or like you have to have a new outfit for every wedding, birthday, date, vacation, well, for the vacation, you get a whole new suitcase of clothing and on and on and on because Instagram has instilled that in us, the era of influencers in a new outfit three times a day. That gets into our heads, even if we know consciously that those influencers receive that stuff for free, that they're doing a job, right? That like, we still are like, I gotta have new stuff all the time. And we had this idea of constant new things Kind of drilled into our heads very subconsciously by Instagram. Mm-hmm. Very subconsciously. And so we need to unpack that and realize that it's okay and you should wear the same outfit to multiple weddings. Uh, You should absolutely take just your favorite clothes on vacation, not a whole suitcase of brand new clothes. That you don't need a new outfit for everything you do. And that actually it's way cooler to have a signature look that you wear a lot, a signature style. To not buy into every trend you see on the internet if it's not right for you. And to be a proud outfit repeater. Like we need to change how social media has changed our approach to what we wear. Um, I think that's, uh, that's another part of it. You can certainly be very stylish wearing the same thing over and over again Mm -hmm. and look cute. Right. And lastly, I mean, when you do have to buy new stuff, that's okay. You don't need to like beat yourself up about it. Like Mm -hmm. why, you know, first off, do your due diligence. If you can afford to buy something brand new from a brand that's truly ethical and sustainable, please do it. And if you can't afford that, that's okay too. Buy what you need you know, buy smart, buy exactly what's right for you and make it last for as long as possible by caring for right. it, mending it, etc. Like there are all these small ways that we can have a more ethical wardrobe.
0: Yeah. So how do you, I know this is probably like a big question, but maybe in just a, a, a one-on-one level again, So if I'm looking at a brand online and I'm like, wow, they, they use, um, they make leggings out of recycled plastic. They pay their workers. They, um, you know, they, they do the things like they check the boxes, um, or whatever it is. How do you kind of like vet, um, businesses or companies or brands where you're like, okay, yeah, I think, I think they're kind of nailing it. Like, how do you go through that process? Like, what is, what does that look like for you?
1: So fortunately, there are a lot of tools online already for find, kind of finding the truth about brands. I highly recommend Good On You and Remake who literally rate every brand out there and will tell you like, here's where they're delivering. Here's where they're not. Um, one company that, I mean, I, I knew this wasn't a sustainable ethical brand, but if you went to their website and looked at all their social and environmental responsibility stuff, you would think was, is Gap. They have like the most epic sustainability messaging on their website where I was like, wait, is GAP sustainable? No. (laughs) Couldn't be, right? I know. I know. And then of course I go to good on you and they're like, no, no, no. They just like say a lot of stuff. And so those are really helpful too, but here, here's the deal. No one is doing this perfectly right now. No one. And we have to accept that and really focus on progress, not perfection. So I look for brands who are really tackling the issues that matter most to me. Maybe your, your big thing is animals and making sure that things are not using animal products. Um, maybe your big thing is workers rights. Maybe your big thing is organic cotton, whatever it is, you know, make sure that that brand's delivering that being mindful of them making progress forward at the same time. And also, not being afraid to ask questions or demand accountability from these brands. I just want to remind you that you are the customer (laughs) and if you want, if they want your money, they should be earning it. And it's Mm. not a troll. If you ask questions about this kind of stuff, this was a hard one for me because I'm very much like, I don't want anybody to think I'm being a troll. I don't want to be a bother, you know, but we got to get over that because so many of us Especially women, we're trained to just be like agreeable and nice and kind of compartmentalize our feelings about things. We need to get out there and ask questions and not be embarrassed about it. Hell
0: yeah. Oh my gosh. Yes. I'm feeling like, yeah, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, Amanda. Yes. I love that so much. You have just like dropped so many truth bombs, but it's all I really appreciate. One of the things I appreciate about listening to you and following you is it just feels digestible. It doesn't overwhelm me. You do it in a way that makes me feel like I am empowered and not a shitty person. Because there are those <laughs> accounts that you follow and then you're like, oh, I'm a monster. Oh, I hate and, that.
1: Shame yeah. is never the way forward. Guilt is not the way forward. I mean, going back to the truth about plastic, right? right. I read, digested all this information with, there was no action items. There was no advice. There was no, like, it's going to be okay. Here's a path forward. And it made me want to shut down and like, just only buy plastic from now on, you know, (laughs) like we we can't, we can't live that way. Um, I, I belong to the next door for my old neighborhood, which is really weird because I haven't lived there for like a year and a half, but uh, I, I got a push notification about someone's box of Keurig pods being stolen from their porch. And I was like, man, I really want to go over there and be like, you shouldn't use Keurig. They're bad for the planet. But don't worry, because someone beat me to it. And I was looking, they were like, hey, you shouldn't use Keurig anyway. They're actually not recyclable. And the person who invented them is regretful and all this other stuff. He's like, shit, bummer. Yeah, he's like, what have I done? And then another person replied and said, who cares? We'll never have as much impact as Amazon. Enjoy your Keurigs. And I just am like, no, we can't. We can't do that either. There is this like sweet spot between total despair and giving up and being overwhelmed about what to do next and and demanding perfection of ourselves and others we need that middle ground where it's like we're constantly moving forward we're constantly trying new things we don't feel ashamed or guilty and we don't let other people feel that way either a lot of the people who i see on the on social media making people feel like shit for buying fast fashion are usually being pretty blind to the privilege involved in leading a truly sustainable life, right? Preach. Yes. Thank you.
0: Yes. If I, I, I,
1: yeah, Uh, yeah, yep. That's a whole
0: nother thing. But if I see one more specifically on Instagram, if I see one more white person talking and shaming people, to be perfectly sustainable, I'm going to lose my mind. I know, I just,
1: me too. It's all people who have money.
0: Yes. and like, you're so out of touch with reality. I don't I, I, don't even know if I can get you back down here. Like, holy cow.
1: I mean, and I still see a lot of that, even people coming into the Clothes Horse comment section where it's like, well, I only make my own clothes and any of you who aren't, aren't trying. And I'm like, "Uh, how about people who have children, who have multiple jobs, who have you know, health issues, who don't have money, who don't have a space to make their own clothes, who don't know how, who, I mean, you yeah. could go on and on and on, right? The same thing, like, listen, it's hard to find sustainable ethical clothing. If you're larger size, if you're short, if you're tall, if you don't have money, uh, those same things can make it difficult to thrift throw in. Also, you have like two kids, you work two jobs, you don't have a car, whatever. It is hard. Those yep. of us who have the privilege of being able to be as sustainable as possible, should do it. But we also need to realize that not everybody has those options. And we need to think about how we can overturn the system to make it accessible to everyone because it's not right now.
0: Right. Changing, changing at a systematic level, instead of shaming individuals that aren't doing as much as, as we are or can. And I, um, I was visiting, I'm in Minnesota and I was visiting my dad who lives in Florida. We went out to a restaurant and they had great vegan options. I ordered a vegan salad, something, and they accidentally put chicken in it. And it was a total accident. They like switched mine up, I think we're like on another tables or something. And um, I told the waiter and he was super nice. And I was just like, hey, like, I just don't eat this. Like, is there any way, you know, I was trying to be like, I it's it's good but like it, it's kind of freaking me out and he was like oh my gosh I totally understand my friend is vegan like that's not okay blah, blah blah so I made this post on social media about how like it ended up being a really cool conversation with this random waiter in Florida and that mistakes happen and that's part of it and somebody commented and was like well that's why I only eat at vegan restaurants like that's what that's what you get and I was like first of all I'm in Normally, where I live, I'm in northern Minnesota. If I was going to only eat at vegan restaurants, I'd have to drive two and a half hours away. Yeah,
1: Um, exactly. (laughs)
0: Like, like, where did you come from? Get out of here!
1: (laughs) (laughs) Totally, totally. And I think you know, I I have so many complicated feelings about social media, as I'm sure you totally like. (laughs) Like I just talked about how you know it's contributed to our consumerist habits. And I think people can be really horrible and mean on social media. I see it. I see it and deal with it constantly. But I also feel like there's this amazing opportunity to speak to people that we would never ordinarily meet and open their eyes to what's going on. And maybe also help them unpack things like I only eat at vegan restaurants and why that's not an option for everyone. I think sometimes it's really hard to see outside yourself. And right now more than ever, because we're all still so isolated. And I think social media can be a window into that. So when people are like, why don't you quit Instagram? I'm like, uh, cause like, it's important. And I want to mm-hmm. counteract all the dumb shit on there. Sorry. I cursed, but
0: <laughs> no, okay, this podcast, I'm, no, it doesn't matter. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I totally agree. I kind of struggle with that sometimes too, where I'm like, well, the Instagram is particularly Instagram is the um, platform I get the most traffic on and I get the most I um, I'm a health coach. So I like reach out and, and try and get people to work with me and like um, learn about those things. And it's the biggest platform that I get responses from and I get interactions on and it's like I don't want to give that up you know, I want to make it better.
1: I'm like, we can take back Instagram because in the beginning Instagram was really cool. And you had to be, you had to creatively express yourself to participate. Like you had to actually make something to be a part of it. And I loved, I loved seeing what people were doing and making. And I think it's this amazing, it could be this amazing platform. We just need to reclaim it. I know Instagram is making that hard, but I'm going to keep trying.
0: Me too. Me too. Totally. Um, Well, where can people get a hold of you? Um, I know they're going to want to after hearing you and,
1: and listening to all of the knowledge you have. Yeah, I would definitely say Instagram is the best way to go. Uh, That's at close horse podcast. You can find more about the podcast and see a bunch of my old Instagram posts and listen to episodes at closehorsepodcast.com, but you can also find close Horse on all, all the streaming platforms. Awesome. Is there any last negative information you want to share or, um, anything that I haven't given you space to talk about? No, I just, I know I said a lot of really depressing things and I don't want anyone to feel overwhelmed. I don't want them to have that. Holy shit. The whole world is made of plastic feeling that I have had to confront myself. I promise mm-hmm. that everything we learn, that knowledge is the power that we're, we need to change the world. And so mm-hmm. the best thing you can do is learn these things, learn from them and share them with other people because mm-hmm. we can, we can make change together. One person can never change the world alone. But when a whole bunch of us are working together to make change, we're gonna we it's gonna happen.
0: Yeah, I totally, totally agree. I love that. Thanks for listening to another episode of Consciously Clueless. If you enjoyed that episode, hit subscribe wherever you're listening. If it's on Apple Podcasts, go ahead, leave a review and you could be read on air as a review of the week. If you haven't yet, head over to patreon.com slash consciouslycarly and check out all the amazing content over there. There is a growing community of people accessing yoga videos, bonus podcast content, meditations. Basically, it's like a light version of working with me as a coach. Speaking of, if you want to be more sustainable, healthier, happier, let's work together. You can go to my website, consciouslycarly.com or email me at consciouslycarly at gmail. Until next time. Thank you